The reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And in the church Bibles, it's on page 1167. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet By God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right. Even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
Good morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Eric foster Whitten. I'm a PhD student here in the School of Divinity at St. Mary's, researching the Gospel of John, so I'm a New Testament student. And my wife, Vanessa, and our teenage kids uh, came with me over a few years ago to do postgraduate work here in the UK. We're from Georgia in the States, and I'm, I'm honored to be able to contribute to this theme that we have currently for the year in prayer, but specifically this series, Learning to Pray from Paul's Prayers. And as is the theme, let's pray together. Father, as we think about uh, the words of Paul to the Corinthian church, we pray that you would remind us of your faithfulness. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to demonstrate the faithfulness of the Father in the way that we live. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the passage today, 2 Corinthians 13, that chapter that was just so beautifully read, thank you for that, is the last chapter of the last letter that we have written from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Corinth, the church in Corinth. And you may think of it being the last chapter of the last letter as some sort of a parting shot. And it has a little bit of a bite to it. You picked up on that as it was read. But I think of it less like a parting shot and more like a shot over the bow, a warning shot, because this is not the last thing that Paul will say to the Christians in Corinth, because he's going to show up for a third time. And when he arrives in Corinth for this third time, he has some things that need to be said. And he sends this letter in advance to prepare the Christians in this church, hoping that they will respond repentantly, those who have pushed back against his authority, hoping that they will repent and that he will be able to spend his time with them, building them up instead of tearing them down. And what's really interesting about the relationship between Paul and this church, this church was situated just south of mainland Greece in this little isthmus between Greece and this peninsula at the bottom of it, It's a really busy place. It's a place where a lot of people come back and forth as they travel. It's a place that has both a Greek heritage, a Roman heritage, a Jewish population, and people from all over the world that land there. And the international nature of this place honestly reminds me a lot of this place where we live, where we get to interact with people from all over the world. But this church that Paul is interacting with, there's a significant relationship that he has with these people. Paul founded this church during his missionary journeys. There are many important ministry partners that Paul worked with through his time in ministry that he met in Corinth. And Paul spent much time at this church. So this is not a church where he just popped in, popped out. He's not writing a letter to a church that he has heard of. This is a congregation that he knows intimately and has spent much time with. But this is also a church that has had constant issues. And if you're familiar a little bit with the churches that Paul writes to, you'll know that this one is a very problematic one. In fact, we have another letter from another church leader that came after Paul. The issues in Corinth just seem to perpetuate ongoing. And so constant issues means that there's a lot of correspondence and a lot of conversation that happens between Paul and the Christians in Corinth. And that constant conversation and constant uh, correspondence included a lot of confrontation and a lot of correction. 
So we know this, this letter that we just read from is called 2 Corinthians in our Bibles, which means by default that there's a 1 Corinthians. When you read 1 Corinthians, at one point, Paul makes reference to a letter he's already sent them. So there's a letter before 1 Corinthians, then there's 1 Corinthians. When you read the second letter to the Corinthians, he makes reference to at least one, maybe two letters that fall between the two that we have in our Bibles. So we know that Paul wrote at least four letters to this church, maybe five. He makes reference to letters that they wrote to him. And in the passage we just read, he signals the fact that he's about to return to them for a third time. So we're talking four, maybe five letters. We're talking three trips. We're talking a lot of interaction, a lot of writing, a lot of FaceTime between Paul and the Christians in Corinth. And this history between Paul and the Christians in this city means that this letter, 2 Corinthians, is a very personal letter between Paul and this congregation. And that's actually one of the things that I really love about this letter and 1 Corinthians as well, is the fact that these, these letters have lots of theology in them, but this is not theology in the theoretical sense of the word. This is very much rubber meets the road, lived theology, as Paul continues to patiently and persistently serve the Corinthian church as their spiritual father. And that's, that's what he describes himself as in his letters to them. He says, you know, I'm your father. And this letter is much more than Paul helping the Corinthians think right thoughts about God. This is a letter where the Corinthians, um, that Paul applies theology and action to try to help pastor and mentor and father these Christians and correct things that have gone awry. 2 Corinthians is particularly personal because this letter, 2 Corinthians, is a defense. Because people have come into the church at Corinth and begun to call, have begun to cause the Christians in this church to question the authority that Paul has in their lives. And so Paul now is having to not deal with just moral issues or issues of practice in the church, but he's also having to defend himself as their spiritual father. And so, in the context of this series, as we think about learning to pray from Paul's prayers, in this passage, there's one half of one verse that we're really going to center on, but then we'll look at what comes before and after and think about the context of it. And that verse is 2 Corinthians 13, 9b, which reads, Our prayer is that you will be fully restored. See, the context of this little half of a verse gives it much significance. And when I say context, I mean certainly what we read before and after it in its immediate context and the whole letter and the whole Corinthian correspondence, but also what we know of Paul's investment in relationship with the Christians in this city. All of this context makes this little short verse, this little short prayer, very significant. Because this little short prayer, we pray that you will be fully restored, is motivated by hope. And this little half of a verse, this short prayer manifests action. And we see that in Paul's life. It's like a linchpin, like the pin that goes between a vehicle and a trailer. A linchpin in Paul's patient and persistent ministry to the Corinthians, through which he demonstrates God's steadfast faithfulness. The way in which Paul hopes, prays, and acts 
for God's purposes to be fulfilled in the Corinthians demonstrates the staying power of God, the Lord's steadfast and faithful love. And my prayer for us today, my prayer for what we can take away from Paul's prayer for the Corinthians is that we, as the Christians in St. Andrews at St. Andrews Baptist Church, can patiently and persistently hope, pray, and act for God's purposes to be fulfilled in the lives of others through the power of his steadfast, faithful love in us. So first we'll look at verses 5 and 6, which read, uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust, or hope, that you will discover that we have not failed the test. So Paul has a hope for the Corinthian Christians, and I think this is demonstrated in the way that he interacts with them. Paul's hope for the Corinthians was not blind, and it was not naive. Paul, I promise you, is very aware of the problems in the Corinthian church. Think about the uh, control panel on a vehicle. Okay, so the control panel on the vehicle has lights on it that will illuminate whenever there's a problem happening in the vehicle. And so whenever a light pops up on a vehicle dashboard, and I've driven so many old vehicles, I'm very familiar with all the variety of lights that light up on the dashboard of the vehicle. But when that light lights up, what do you do? You take it to the mechanic and you say, hey, there's a problem. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but this thing tells me there's an issue. Will you please run the diagnostics on it and let me know what needs to be corrected? See, Paul, looking at the Corinthian church, sees lights everywhere. And he knows there's a problem. There are multiplicitous problems, lots of issues that need to be dealt with. In, in 1 Corinthians, he addresses a lot of these things. And between the two letters, we know that the, the church in Corinth had issues with sexual immorality, with drunkenness, with abuse of Christian fellowship, with idolatry, division, lawsuits, abuse of spiritual gifts, posturing, favoritism, all kinds of problems. But a big problem in 2 Corinthians is the fact that there has been a deterioration of the relationship between these Christians and Paul. Because someone has come in and said, you know, you see how he suffers? You see how weak he is? That's not the kind of leader you want. You want a strong leader who speaks well. And Paul says, hey, listen, if you can't identify the work of Jesus in me, we have a problem. And so... Paul here in this verse is asking the Corinthians to run the diagnostics themselves. He says, examine yourselves, test yourselves. And he says, test yourselves to see that you're in the faith, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. And that question, unless, of course, you fail the test, is not Paul thinking, I think you probably will. It's actually Paul saying, surely you won't, because I trust that Jesus is at work in you. Paul's hope for the Corinthians was anchored in Jesus. Do you not realize that Jesus is in you? Paul says, of course he is. Because just a few chapters earlier in chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes to them, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so when he looks at the lights on the dashboard of the Corinthian church going off, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. this looks old. We're looking for new. Jesus is at work in you. 
We need to run some diagnostics and fix the problems. Paul says, I trust or I hope that you will discover that we have not failed the test. And what, what he's saying there is, you're questioning me, you're questioning us, you're pushing back against our authority, but look, pay attention. Jesus is at work in us too. Look and you'll see. Paul's hope for the Corinthians, what I love about Paul's hope for the Corinthians is that after repeated issues, his hope anchored in Jesus kept Paul coming back to the Corinthian church kept him writing to the Corinthian church and showing up in Corinth. The Corinthians questioned Paul's authority and put stress and distance between them, but like the patient father of a distant and unapproachable teenager, Paul keeps showing up. Paul trusts and he hopes that the Corinthians will recognize the work of Jesus in him. What does the work of Jesus look like in Paul? Steadfast faithfulness. Paul patiently and persistently hoped for God's purposes to be fulfilled in the Corinthians. Then we go on to verses 7 through 9, where Paul writes, Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. You know what? We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. Paul prayed for the Corinthians out of his hope for them in Jesus. And what was this prayer that Paul had for the Corinthians? Here in this passage, we see two places where Paul specifically indicates what his prayer is. The first one is in verse 7 where he says, We pray that you will not do anything wrong. But then in verse 9, and the one that we're going to focus on is where he says, um, But our prayer is that you may... What? Well, when we look at the different English translations of this verse, we see that there's some disagreement about the best way to express what Paul's trying to say. The NRSV updated edition says that you may be restored. The NIV, which we read from today, says that you may be fully restored. The NASB 2020 says that Paul's praying that they would become mature. The NRSV uh, says that Paul's praying that they would become perfect. The New English translation says that Paul is praying that they would become fully qualified. So what does this word mean? What is it that Paul's praying for them? I think it's important that we know what it is Paul's praying for this church. So when I read through this, initially, because I was aware of the conflict between Paul and the Corinthian Christians, I immediately thought, well, to be restored, he must mean to be restored in relationship with himself, but the more that I've read and thought about this and prayed about this and just looked at all of it, I believe in this passage, that's not what he means. Now, he does talk about restoration in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, where Paul says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message, of, the message of reconciliation. So in our passage today, I read restored and thought reconciled. But that's not what Paul's saying in this passage. David Garland in his uh, commentary on 2 Corinthians kind of does a good job of summarizing what this word means or, or can mean and gives a, an, an kind of the emphasis of what Paul's getting at here. 
He says that this, this idea is the restoring of something to its original condition or to make it fit for its purpose. Restoring the walls of a city, preparing fabric so that it is ready to wear, preparing a remedy, preparing a vessel, or preparing a body for sacrifice, resetting a dislocated bone, outfitting a boat, equipping a child for adulthood with a solid education, or fully training a disciple to reach his teacher's level. So with this in mind, and understanding what Paul means when he says that they would be fully restored, it reminded me of my father-in-law and his Jeep. So my father-in-law, his name is Jimmy. He is a, a, a veteran of the U.S. Army. He's a great guy, one of the best men I've ever met. And he is this really um, handy, thoughtful, slow to speak, diligent um, person, lives, lives on a homestead out in the country in Georgia, and just let, he, he can fix or build about anything you can think of. And so one day he was uh, driving through the nearby town and he noticed behind uh, this house that there was this old military Jeep from World War II. It's a Willis Jeep. And it was in, behind the house and it was all busted and broken down and the weeds were growing up around it. And so he stopped. He was interested in it and he knocked on the door and asked the elderly lady that lived there, hey, would you be interested in selling me your Jeep? Sure, why not? So she sold him the Jeep. Now, this Jeep was not functional at all, did not run. So he went and he picked up the Jeep and he brought it back to his house and he began this slow, persistent, diligent process of piece by piece restoring this Jeep to its functionality, the functionality it was designed to have. It wasn't a quick process, but he was full of hope that he could get this Jeep running again. And he worked diligently, and he got it uh, back running again. In fact, you see the picture of it there on the screen, and uh, it runs well. In fact, he used it last summer to teach my son how to drive manual. And so he uses it, rides it in parades in, in his, his neighborhood, in his area. But this is an image of what it looks like to restore something that is not functioning the way that it was intended. The church at Corinth was seriously broken. At this point, we're not talking minor issues. We're talking busted and rusted with the weeds growing up around it. And Paul knows that it needs to be fixed. And he prays that it would be restored to the purposes that God has for it. Paul patiently and persistently prayed for God's purposes to be fulfilled in the Corinthians. Which brings us to verse 10, which reads... This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. See, Paul hoped for the Corinthian church, and he prayed for the Corinthian church, but he acted on behalf of the Corinthian church. Paul invested heavily in the life of the Corinthian Christian community. As I've mentioned, he repeatedly had lengthy visits with them, at least three that we know of. He wrote many letters, four or five, and he dealt with a lot of confrontation. And if you've ever been in a relationship that required some confrontation, you know that someone who's willing to continually face confrontation in a relationship um, cares about the relationship because we just we are averse to it. We run from it. We would rather just abandon it than have to deal with the difficulty. But that's not what Paul did. He hoped and prayed, but he also had skin in the game. 
See, Paul had more for the Corinthian Christians than thoughts and prayers, which we hear a lot about and see a lot about in our culture today. The way that Paul cared for the Corinthian Christians reminds me of the motto of the Benedictine monks, uh, pray and work. This is a, they, they lived a rhythm of life that was filled with prayer and action where these two things uh, worked side by side. And I believe that that's what Paul is doing. He is praying diligently for the Corinthians, but he is working diligently to see God's purposes fulfilled in them. Paul's prayer was motivated by hope and it manifested action on behalf of the Corinthians with the goal to see them fully restored to God's purposes, which brings to mind what he writes in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, where he talks about what kind of uh, purpose the gifts, the leadership gifts in the church have. What are they supposed to produce in the church? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach all unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When we talk about being restored to the purposes of God, this is the purpose of God. Full maturity, the fullness of Christ. That's God's vision for the Corinthian church. That's God's vision for this church. It's God's vision for every church. And whenever the leadership gifts in the church are operating the way they should, that should be the goal. And that's, that was the goal for Paul in the Corinthian church. That was the, he exercised his leadership gifts, his apostleship, and his teaching to that end. Paul patiently and persistently acted for God's purposes in the Corinthians. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as Christians in St. Andrews, Scotland, here at St. Andrews Baptist Church? When we think about the way that Paul patiently and persistently hoped for God's purposes for the Corinthian church, we can remember in our relationships, especially the difficult ones and the ones that seem hopeless, that we can remember the reconciling love of God in Christ and exercise a tenacious hope for his purposes to be fulfilled in them. Where have we stopped hoping for God to show up in someone's life? Can we tenaciously hope that God will work? When we think about the way that Paul patiently and persistently prayed for God's purposes in the Corinthians, when we think about our relationships, we can continually ask God, to restore the brokenness in others and in our world. We can ask him motivated by a crazy optimistic hope that God exists, that he's real, that he cares about people and that he actually does intervene in our lives. And when we think about Paul and his patient and persistent action on behalf of the Corinthians in our relationships here, we can keep showing up. What a beautiful testimony earlier in this service of you guys. Good job, church. Well done. You continue to show up. We can keep reaching out. We can replace thoughts and prayers with prayer and action. Motivated by a tenacious hope and committed to pray with God's loving, uh, for God's loving intervention, 
we can look for ways to act in accordance with what we hear the Spirit saying and what we see the Father doing. Through many difficulties and conflicts over much distance and repeated problems, Paul remained a spiritual father to the Corinthians. Fully aware of their many serious failures, his prayer for the Corinthian church, motivated by hope and manifesting action, was that it would be restored to its God-intended state, fully mature and fulfilling its divine purpose. May our prayers for those in our lives be motivated by the tenacious hope that Jesus will work in them. May our prayer manifest actions empowered by the steadfast, faithful love of God. If you know the Lord, you know his staying power. The way he pursues us with patience and persistence. How he redeems and sanctifies us to look increasingly more like Jesus and less like the world. We are called to demonstrate the steadfast, faithful love of God as we patiently and persistently pray for the purposes of God to be fulfilled in the people that he has put in our lives. Motivated by hope, manifesting action, that they would see Jesus in us, that they would come to love him, and by the power of the Spirit, become like him themselves. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness that we see in Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, his patience and his persistence. And we thank you that as we look at it, we remember that it reflects your steadfast faithfulness. Oh Lord, right now in this moment, would you bring to mind to us people that you've placed in our lives for this season? People that you would have us hope for and pray for and act for to see your purposes fulfilled in them. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and show us how we can reflect the faithfulness of the Father in the way that we love them. Amen.